0: sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little
1: on the next episode of Way Down in the Hole, we properly memorialize one of our favorite characters on the show and tell you what word in this episode aged the worst. Tune in for Way Down in the Hole.
2: Said, tell
0: Omar he put his hand in the wrong pocket. And you need to know, my little dogs didn't let you go easy. I'ma work them. Sweet Jesus, I'ma work them. If we were to tell him no, he will still come back. This he shows us.
2: But I treated you like a son. I wasn't made to play the son.
1: All right. Uh, thanks for joining us once again here on Way Down in the Hole. We are now at episode four of season five, which is called Transitions. And Van, the last episode, you and I both were like, eh. eh! have done better. This one, I was like, damn.
2: <laughs> I, I have it written down. A tremendous bounce back episode oh my for God. season five. Absolutely. This
1: was quite, a, quite a return because, you know, this episode, I, I, like eventually, it, it felt like every scene was so good and so important and so poignant. Like I have like 5011 scenes that are the best scenes and moments in this one. So I'm sure that'll take us through the the whole episodes. But I thought it was interesting it was called Transitions because we do see a lot of that. I mean, we see Burrell transitioning out of power. We see Marlo transitioning into power. Mm -hmm. Right? We see Prop Joe transitioning to the great beyond. Right. (laughs) Right? And so there's a lot of transitions going on. So I thought it was definitely appropriately titled. Um, What were some of your main takeaways from... Transitions,
2: uh, a lot of risk taking in this episode. People making their moves. We we don't look at how much of a risk it was for Marlo to play the game like he played it. You know, he if that goes wrong, then maybe Prop Joe gets to drop on Marlo, and maybe Marlo is out. You know what I mean? You look at the risk taking even in City Hall to get Burrell finally out of there, and then the dynamic between Burrell and Daniels that arises because of that. Like, so this was a high-stakes episode, a high-stakes episode with a lot of major, major, major decisions being made, and even the risk-taking on behalf of, of McNulty and them going, McNulty and Lester, now going super deep with their homeless guy charade and involving more police officers in the entire thing, involving more people into their web... Of of police deceit. So there was just a lot going on here, and a lot of people stepping out, and really, 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 really staking their entire futures on decisions that they're making.
1: Yeah, it is kind of amazing that, given all the cases that McNulty and Lester have worked on, and even just the ones they worked on together that we've seen in The Wire, that they chose this one as the risk-it-all case. Yeah, you know? for sure. Because, I mean, Mar- Mar- Marlo you could argue becomes, a. I mean, not argue, I mean, he becomes a bigger kingpin than Avon, right? That's fair. That's accurate, right? Well,
2: he takes over the entire city.
1: Yeah, because he takes over all of it, right? So he is by far a bigger kingpin, but like, you know, Avon wasn't no slouch. And I just couldn't see McNulty and Lester deciding, like, we're going to concoct a whole fake serial killer just to get
2: Avon, Barksdale, and Stringer Bell. Although, you know what's interesting, though? Now that I think about it, Stringer was the head of the co-op. Maybe they're bigger, or maybe they're the same, because Stringer, as soon as you said that, I'm like, well, Marlo. I, I guess the only thing that would be different is that Marlo was the one who went and got directly involved with the Greeks, uh, with Vondas and the Greeks, and kind of got uh, the direct connect. So he became the guy, the guy on both sides of town for the dope, uh, even though Stringer had to go through Prop Joe. But Stringer and, and the bar sales, they were the head of the co-op once they were in the co-op but right. interesting question it's a sidebar question that you guys out there in the the Twitter sphere answer that question who ended up getting more power uh, Stan Stanfield or or Barstow
1: yeah I, I I guess I lean toward Marlowe too because I think I do too yeah and he had to and once he got the plug into the Greeks like it seemed like he, it, the pipeline all had to come through him and even though Stringer was the head of the co-op and the co-op was his idea too Mm-hmm. right and so yeah. um you know it, it, it's interesting to see just how quickly even though it's not quickly in wire time but just how how much real estate power that marlo has been able to amass just by doing things that frankly other people don't have the stomach to do you right. know um and that's usually how people gain power is like they yeah. will be, they're willing to go that extra step that no one else is willing to go so uh, I think overall, both of our takeaways from this is like, what a damn episode. Um, this one is chock full of stuff. So, The co-op didn't exist before
2: Stringer? I, I'm forgetting stuff. I, I'm trying I, to remember. I, I thought he... I thought that they brought Stringer into the co-op.
1: Really? Okay. I, mean, I don't we, know. Yeah. I mean, somebody will have to
2: remind us. God uh, damn, we... it feels like such a long time ago. I know, ago. it
1: does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because he was running... Because if they... Br- would they bring a man to run it?
2: Wouldn't he have... Well, he... They... I, I, it's it's interesting. They they got they needed Stringer because the the Barstales were still the only people that were controlling West Baltimore.
1: Right, they had the and
2: territory. They had the territory right. at that time because uh, Marlo was still kind of like a a young Bodie on his on his come up. But I think they already had the co op. I don't think the co op was Stringer's it was cool. idea. It was Stringer's idea? And maybe yeah. I I just it feels like it was
1: since he created that. <laughs> um, corporate structure.
2: I yeah, I know you love that. You know what I'm
1: saying? Community college dude. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get to the recap here. Uh, so Marlowe accomplishes his mission. He is now the king of Baltimore. Kills Prop Joe with Jesus' help. And now he has the direct plug to the Greeks. Cold world. Um, Omar returns and he begins his hunt of Marlowe because he had, now knows what has happened to Butchie. But in um, one of the good scenes that I'm sure you'll probably list, uh, he finds out from Ch- uh, Slim Charles that it was not Prop Joe that gave up Butchie. Lester McNulty, they continue to create their fictional serial killer with the help of an old pal of Lester's. They begin culling the city for homeless murder victims that they can start having their fake serial killer way with, um, which also leads to an uncomfortable uh, visit to a homeless camp. Uh, Daniels, he is now deputy ops. He has taken over Rawls's job. Rawls is now the acting commissioner, uh, though Daniels is in line to become the next commissioner. Carcetti uh, made a lot of promises to wedge Daniels in there, um, and Burrell was forced to go quietly in exchange for a six-figure job and a meaningless title. What a safety net. Must be nice. Carver Uh, has to make a difficult decision about reprimanding a fellow officer who unjustly drug a citizen out of their car who just wanted to go to work. And that leads to kind of an interesting conversation between him and Herc. Also, State Attorney Bond tightening his grip on Clay Davis, who for the first time that we've seen, Clay Davis is kind of losing his cool a little bit. I mean, he's pretending like things are all good, but they own his ass. But with uh, all that being said, our character deep dive, we hadn't, you know, there's really a very obvious one to do. And that is Prop Joe, who is murdered by Marlo and Chris. Chris pulled the trigger. Um, And that scene, man, what a chilling scene that was. I mean, they had the the, the murder scenes that they have given Chris and Snoop and Marlo, I guess by extension, they really went up a notch. You Uh know, Marlo, it, it was... The look on his face, it was just so cold, you know? And it was like, you know, just lean back. It ain't going to hurt none. Hurt none? I'm about to get shot in the head. Like, I I mean, it might be over quick, but I'm still getting shot in the head. So um, let's talk about uh, Prop Joe. Um, You know, what is your take on this whole situation? How he died, you know, him taking Marlo under, under his wing and it ultimately really cost, I mean, there's no doubt about it. It cost him his life.
2: There's a couple of interesting things about Prop Joe. So we learn in Prop Joe that, we, we learn in this episode that Prop Joe and Burrell are only a year apart in age. Yep, went to school together. They went to school together. That tells you a lot. Number one, Prop Joe should have been long retired long retired. Because if if Burrell's been doing his thing as a cop for 34 some odd years, right, which is what they say in this episode, he's been serving for 34 years, then that puts Burrell in his 50s or 60s, probably in his 60s, right? So uh, and maybe Prop Joe is around that same age in his, probably more like in his 50s, uh, in his 50s, mid-50s, whatever. Joe dealers don't live to be that long. No, you have not. to be a certain type of person. Now, you see other people in the co-op, uh, you know, one who meets his end in this episode as well, Hungry Man, and they look kind of old. Yeah. But, you know, a lot uh, most of the time, drug dealers don't live to be they're not still doing it in their 50s and their 60s. That's a young man's game. Either you have gone away or you're dead by that point, you know? You don't retire. You don't retire. D- yeah. you, you don't retire. Um, but normally you don't retire because you don't get the opportunity to. So the the thing about Prop Joe was that his gentlemanly, sort of compromising, sort of uh a really almost civil way of doing things, it, it it was gone. It it harkens back to the conversation that Poot was having um when Poot was like, you know. The, the climate's going one way, people are going another way. You know, the game didn't change, it got more fierce. The Wire keeps telling you that there's a new breed and the face of that new breed wasn't the kids on the corner, it was Marlo that entire time. And Prop Joe is still playing by those old rules. He literally has no ill will towards Marlo. He's not trying to use Marlo at all. He's trying to bring Marlo in close to him Thereby insulate him from Marlowe's wrath and from Marlowe's harshness, and and you know and from Marlowe's hand. But it's not going to work because Marlowe is soulless. And prop Joe for everything that uh, that he's done. He he has a soul. The only time we've only heard Prop Joe really be threatening one time, twice that I can remember in the whole series. What's toward what's sort Omar? If you ever steal from me, I'll kill your whole family. And the other time. Uh, it was towards Nikki Sabaka, where he said to Nikki, uh, "If it wasn't for my man Sergey here, you'd be a cadaverous motherfucker." You know. Other than that, that's not his way. That's really not the way he does things. And for him to have gone back and forth with Marlo, and the way he was going back and forth with Marlo. It would have had to have been the way that he did things. It would have had to have been the way that he operated, because he's playing a different sport that this, than this kid is playing.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the the way that he died was very symbolic in, in terms of what his mistake was. You know who Prop Joe reminded me of? He's Ned Stark.
2: Yeah, that's a great comparison.
1: Yeah, is that Ned Stark? Even though he was, you know, he was trying to be a different type of person in a ruthless game. And what when Ned Stark went to tell Cersei about what he knew, which is one of the all-time dumb decisions, and he wound up getting his head chopped off for of, off of it, it reminded me of Prop Joe for all of his intellect, for all of his critical thinking. He, I don't understand how he could think. I mean, I do. I mean, some of it, I'm sure, is is ego, him wanting to appeal to a reasonable side but the number one mistake he made was thinking he was dealing with a reasonable person. There was nothing Uh about Marlowe that suggested that this guy could be reasonable. Stringer Uh made that same mistake, thinking that he could bring him into the fold. And after seeing how it didn't work with Stringer, there's, you know, it just shows that even somebody as smart as Prop Joe has his blind spots. And it was kind of the same thing also with Avon. You know, look, if, if Prop Joe is not related to Method Man, like, Method Man should have been dead a while ago. Right. Method Man. I mean, there was I understand that was his sister's, you know, kid. And so there's a different relationship. But it was ultimately his loyalty to his loyalty to his family um, and his un, his belief in there can be rules to an unruly system that wound up getting him murdered. You know, and uh, you're right. I agree. Like, this is somebody that shouldn't he should have been the type of person that was thinking, I'm going to do this a few years and be out because there's just no way that this was built to last. Um, And especially, you know, he's trying to do drug dealing
2: in a corporate way. It's like that shit don't work. It's interesting when you talk about cheese, because not only would he not he wouldn't let anybody else hurt cheese. Like he, it, it, Slim puts him up on what Cheese is. Like Slim, and he doesn't want to believe that Cheese is that because it's his sister's kid. And look, you know, I got nephews. It would be hard for me to think of a situation where I would push a button on them. You know what I mean? But I'm also not a drug dealer. I think that the prop, I think prop Joe, he didn't actually die as much as he went, ex- went extinct. You know what I mean? He, like he—he he wasn't murdered as much as Marlowe was the asteroid that crashed into everything and created the Grand Canyon. And he, you know, he choked on Marlowe's smoke really more than anything. Um. So it—it it, it, uh, was well, it wouldn't have been smoke that the dinosaurs choked on. It would have been I guess that the ash. What happened to him? How'd they die? It was it blotted out the sun, and then. What a terrifying thought, by the way. <laughs> that the, like that, the that the dinosaurs are just chilling one day. Oh, ha, 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 rah, 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 rah. doing dinosaur hey. shit. Yeah, just like rah, 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 playing, you know, football or something like that. And then, like, uh, what the fuck is that? And then we we that's fucking crazy. <laughs> anyway,
0: I'm <laughs> not to scare
2: y'all, but goddamn. <laughs> um it. it yeah, yeah. It's crazy. No, so you know, and that's kind of that's more more along the lines of kind of what, what happened with Prop Joe. Interesting what you said earlier about him and his family. That is actually explained in his last scene. Yeah. As he's sitting we there. He talks about legacy. We talked about legacy. Yeah. And he's sitting there, and and legacy is typically on the wire, something that ends up getting your ass murked out. Because that was the same problem that Avon had with D'Angelo. The reality is the smart thing probably would have been done to go ahead and and hit D'Angelo sooner. But he, he, you know, obviously he's not going to do that. Once again, his sister's kid family means something to these people. Marlo had a more meteoric rise because he didn't give a fuck about any of that. Like none of it. Like, none of it at all. It was just different. And so when he was talking about living in that same house, he was talking about meaning. And the only thing that means anything to Marlowe was the crown.
1: I know a lot of people, this is probably a, a good example of, like, why my feelings for Marlowe, even though him and Avon are yeah, in the same business, they do many of the same things, but why I have so much more contempt for Marlowe than I ever had for Avon. And, you know, of course, nobody had more contempt for Stringer than probably I did, but... Uh, mm-hmm. but Mani, diff- shout out Bo. Yeah, oh, Bo did. Yeah, Bo is the leader of this. Like, Bo right. is the president of the Stringer <laughs> Bell Ain't Shit Club. <laughs> right. So I stand, I definitely stand corrected on that. But, you know, I, I will say that the thing about Marlo that it makes him more of a frightening, you know, figure is, just think about this, is that Prop Joe took him under his wing he made his criminal operation much smoother. He taught him how to launder his money. He took him to the uh, an attorney that would do all of his bidding and all of his dirt. Like, you know, and it, it's such a, a like Marlowe does not have a code. and And a lot of the people in the wire, even the most nefarious and ain't shit ones, have some kind of code. And he absolutely does not have one. You know, the only thing that meant something to him was getting as much power as possible. And it's just such a powerful exchange when Prop Joe tells him, I treated you like the son. And he was like, I wasn't meant to play the son.
2: I wasn't meant to play the son.
1: <laughs> Which is like obviously accurate as fuck, but it's also cold-blooded as hell. Like, damn, mm-hmm. dog, this dude really did up your game. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you you, up there, um, you in this same episode where you murking him, you got to be taught what a text message is, right? right. Okay? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. y- you know, you rough as fuck around the edges. And so Joe was trying to smooth you out and teach you it's a better way. And, you know, much like the, the Terminator in the movies, all you did was adopt all the shit that you wanted that would increase your power and then kept all the ruthlessness as well. So you like created mm-hmm. a own cyborg version of yourself but you know um you noted earlier about how him and uh, Burrell, prop joe and Burrell went to school together it reminded me of bunk and omar they went to school together too Uh right and wound up on opposite sides of things but in many respects prop joe and burel they were in two different professions obviously um but they both did get done in by the same things, like Burrell should have retired a while ago, like there was really no reason for him to still be in the position that he was. I mean, he's shoveling shit. he's not getting anything done. I mean, you know, once he his picture was locked and safe, it's like he was a relic in a in a department that was rapidly changing in a in a city that was rapidly changing, and he held on a little too long. It reminds me of how uh in the NFL the really good franchises the Pittsburgh Steelers usually the New England Patriots I know they're going through some uh uneven times right now but the good organizations get rid of you a year too early rather than a year too late but the At- patriots
2: tried yeah I know <laughs> right they 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 the patriots had their guy they had the guy that they wanted but you know who was Wiley? that wily old TB tom brady didn't just get out of Eng- new england he ruined the franchise for a time. <laughs> right. On the way it out. <laughs> a, a, anybody that completed a pass, cut him. Get rid of Brissett. Get rid of Garoppolo. If they ran a reverse to Edelman, and Edelman threw that bitch and it and it looked too good, Tom's like, he gotta go. And then, a, a, then once Tom couldn't play anymore, now now they, they they you know, shout out to Cam, but you know how it goes. But yeah, but you're right about that. The Patriots tried. They drafted a guy in the second round. They saw it coming. They knew it but, was coming, but they they still had they c- couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I, I, though, I do wonder who was it that couldn't pull the trigger. I have a feeling it was Bob Kraft that couldn't. I think that Belichick could.
2: Well, they also <laughs> did win a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, yeah, so it I was mean, like, yeah, yeah, the it success. was,
1: yeah, right, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I get it, but nevertheless, it's like you know, Prop Joe stayed around just a little too long, and a lot of times. You know, I think you we talked about this before, like a lot of times you are grooming your replacement. And yeah. I think you made that observation about uh Joe maybe in the last episode of the episode before that, but he was grooming his replacement. Um, and it was just a uh, it was a a very appropriate end for somebody who had made the missteps that he had. Now, there's another side of this. I've, you know, in talking to people who are wire fans. A lot of people thought that Prop Joe got what he deserved, given how duplicitous he always is. He may be nice about it, but he's still duplicitous nonetheless. I mean, do you put him in the category as somebody who kind of ultimately, regardless of how likable and how nice and and reasonable he
2: was about things, that got what he deserved? So this is how I look at it. He was duplicitous, right? He did try to stretch that dollar. Man, he made money off everything. Everything. (laughs) You know the 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 whole shipment gets stolen. He buys it back for twenty on a dollar, sells it back to the co-op for thirty on a dollar. Right. So he probably makes his money back that was stolen and a little, you know, whatever. And then they resell the drugs. Um, Marlo gets robbed. Uh, Prop Joe makes a hundred or, or whatever on Omar's deal. It's it's a. I'm trying to think of this. And I and I went through it earlier. Who caught one unnecessarily? Because of Prop Joe. With almost every other drug organization, there were people that died that didn't necessarily have to die. Now, with the with the Barksdales, it you it it some of it was accidental, and some of it were people that, you know, were civilians, but that had, you know, testified and stuff like that. So it was a little bit less sort of you know, egregious, then Marlo just killing people because they're security guards and they ask them, don't oh. I look like a, ain't I a man? I am
1: mine. Or killing them because they said, you know, he sucked dick. I mean, like, what? Yeah, yeah,
2: right. All right. so, you know, but still, those were people that were killed. I'm trying to think, and there had to have been somebody because you don't get to where Prop Joe is without, well, without some bodies on you.
1: Well, I'm sure without, through the course of his time, Mm-hmm. There was, but like that we actually saw on screen. It did have
2: the New York guys.
1: Yeah, the New York guys. But I also was thinking of, and we think about how this all started. I also was thinking about Omar because here's the thing. If Prop, Prop Joe went to Omar to try to rattle Marlo's cage when he stole the money from him at the poker game, Prop Joe knew who Marlo was and he knew this wasn't just any dude you're stealing from. And he withheld that information because he wanted to prove to Marlo that as big as you are, you're going to still need protection in this street. He was trying to get him in the co-op. And so he kind of coerced it, if you will. So some could look at that and say, hey, he really was the master of his own demise.
2: I mean, yeah, I, there were definitely mistakes made and the, most of those mistakes have to do with, with, with Marlo. I think one thing that we've come to look at in the show is The Wire is very binary in its deaths. It's either damn or about time. Right. <laughs> those th- th- those are the two different ways. And in a lot of shows, it's not like that. Like, for example, in The Sopranos, when Christopher Moltisanti got killed, you didn't feel that way. Or when Bobby Baklava got killed, like, you didn't feel that way. Um, Bobby was kind of like an aww. Um, but Chris wasn't either way. Like those characters have vacillated back and forth. Chris, as a character, had vacillated back and forth, you know, from what to what to whatever, you know, or or even Tony Blundetto, like characters that I know. I'm getting deep into Soprano stuff, uh, but even like you know characters like that, you didn't feel like, yo, like I, I'm so sad to see him go, but then also you know whatever. But like in the Wire, it's normally that way. Mm-hmm. It's either a fucking Wallace or <laughs> you know, it's a Bodhi. Uh You well, no. Oh, that wouldn't be it. It was. It's either a Wallace or for your sit for you a stringer. Yeah. Or 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 someone like that. It's normally it, it's one way. And with and with Prop Joe, for whatever reason, I felt more like damn.
1: Yeah. Than
2: I, uh, you, you know, and 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 that's because the character had kind of led you to that. He was a gentleman. Uh, at the end of the day, Prop Joe for all everything that he did, he was like a nice guy. <laughs> right.
1: I mean, he ran a, what, a clock shop? I mean, what is It's it like yeah. You know, there's a lot of fronts that you could pick at a, as a drug dealer, but who picks a clock shop? <laughs> yeah,
2: you know it's like I'm a saying? nice old, genteel, you know, and I think that's probably another reason why Cheese didn't, didn't respect him.
1: No, and know? he also, Cheese also did not uh, appreciate the fact that Prop Joe wouldn't let him get a larger piece of his empire. Right. And and it wasn't because that, I don't think that was a result of Prop Joe being unable to share because clearly the whole concept of the Copa Op is sharing, but he knew Cheese was an idiot. And he's like, right. I can't put him in charge of nothing because he knew he was a liability. Right. You know, because he had no problem when he was going underground, who did he lead a shop to? Slim Charles. Because right. he knows Slim Charles will handle business, right? Right. But, um you know at the end of the day it's kind of like uh yeah you 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 don't feel I, I don't know if i necessarily felt sad about seeing prop joe killed i mean it was it was kind of fucked up how he died it was like damn <laughs> like <laughs> you know a, a, a bullet to the head but we know how chris gets down um but it was more like damn the the end of an era you know yeah. like how you feel when you know one of your favorite ball players who is you know, a little long in the tooth, don't have a the burst they used to have, and then they kind of go out with an injury. You're like, ugh,
2: damn. <laughs> you know, it, to, to me, Prop Joe dying was like Vince Carter retiring. That just means that all those guys are gone.
1: Yeah, you know like the, I mean? those era of guys that... Yeah. yeah,
2: it just means all those guys are gone now. Vince held on, and as long as Vince Carter held on, I still remembered like, the, what was it? The 2000 Dunk Contest. I remember where I was. I was at my boy Trey House. And people forget about how crazy Steve Francis went in that contest. Everybody talk about everybody else, but Steve Francis was getting off, too. That just was the best between Vince, Steve, and Trace McGrady. That was just, like, the best one I've ever seen. Well, Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, too. But, but uh, anyway, so... It like prop Joe is the last of those guys. He's the last of the guys that we were introduced to in the first season, running a dope situation of that of those dudes, the last of that era to kind of be around and, it, and and now those guys are gone. and so you know that lets you know that you know the show is coming to some sort of culmination because they're turning the page on what it was that we, we kind of got involved with when we first saw it.
1: Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, Prop Joe. Uh, oh, Joe. Com- yeah, complex character. You know, had a had. It was a conscious element to him. A thinking man's drug dealer,
2: uh, for sure. Also parallel to Burrell, by the way, Burrell, who 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 we're we're not going to see any, uh, much more of. Uh, I think maybe even maybe even more of after this because he was kicked out. Two guys who really unwittingly Daniels Marlowed Burrell. He didn't. He, he didn't mean to, and right. he didn't do it in any way. But who Daniels was, the new shiny, new face of Baltimore Police, pushed Burrell out. Right. Except it was unintentional this time. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It was, but it it was the same end
2: result. Is that right? You Younger, know? thinner, fitter. Yep. Like ready. Yep. Uh, less of hungrier, an asshole. <laughs> less. Yeah. So you know the whole nine. Yeah. Um. Definitely.
1: So yeah, you're 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 right. There's a the death of Burrell's career. Uh, as well. We'll be right back with more Way Down in the Hole. All right. Now let's go through what is going to be a shit ton of best scenes and moments. Van, just go ahead and get us started, man. I know we I'm got a gonna, lot.
2: I'm just going to go through them. The Canard shit trick at the beginning. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: Which got me to think about. I, I I wanted to ask you this question. Um, or and if you don't have an answer now, you think of it at the end. That's fine. It, it, what's the best prank you ever pulled? Uh it's easy. Oh,
2: oh yeah. The 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 best prank I've ever pulled is it's it's not even it's easy. It's a clown attack.
1: <laughs> you did a clown attack.
2: <laughs> My sister hates clowns. <laughs> How'd you uh, get her? It's a clown attack. We we, we attacked her clown wise. Like we, I had a homeboy. I can't remember the guy's name now. He was one of my, uh, damn, what's that nigga name? I can't remember his name now, but he had a clown mask. Like she really hates him. It's based on that movie, Killer Clowns from Outer Space that we I used to watch that. when we were kids, yeah. which I think is fucking fantastic. And she just, it just affected her. And um, uh, my homie, damn, what was his name? We used to hang out with him all the time. He's an ex-male stripper. But then he and he, he was, and he uh, and he, uh, he joined the service fraternity that I was in. I remember it was funny because he was kind of a thug, nigga. But whenever you would piss him off, he would play Yolanda Adams' Open My Heart.
0: <laughs>
1: what? So, that <laughs> right. sounds like when Sam Jackson you would quote up the Bible verse in Pulp
2: Fiction before he murked somebody. Like, he was trying to change his life okay. from who he was. And so, like, we would be somewhere and somebody would piss him off and he would be, be ready to go. And before you know it, he would be driving away, and you would hear, "Open my heart to you, to you." I remember one time, real quick. One time we were all at my sister's house, and for so he had done something that pissed my sister off, and uh, I can't remember homie's name. Uh, my bad. She's gonna remember when she hears this. And he, and he, she tells him he has to leave. And then she, and then we all thought she was joking, but then she was serious. And she's like, he's like, you got to go. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, dog, like she for real. And so he got super pissed off. And when he was leaving, all you heard was Yolanda Adams "Open my heart. He was blasting it, driving down the street. It was the funniest thing in the world. Anyway, he had a, he had a clown mask, a clown mask, screen mask. And I kept telling my sister, who was pissing me off at this time. That, you know, we're gonna hit you with the clown attack with the with the with the clowns if you keep fucking with me. And we lived out in the country, uh, like in the middle of we couldn't see our neighbors. It's pitch black at night. We lived on 60 acres of land. It's pitch black at night, and we hit her with the and she lost it. Clown no. attack. <laughs> what? Yeah, like when she looks out the window, clown. Run! Run! Run out! Run the other way! Clowns! 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 Everywhere! Clown attack! Like that's that's what happened, and it was the, it was the best ever, and it still remains the best prank ever that I pulled. What about you?
1: Well, I did something similar involving clowns. Uh, my old co-host and dear friend Michael Smith. Uh, he, I don't know if he's specifically afraid of clowns, but he m- movements, sudden movements jar him, and which I told him I was like <laughs> you suffering from some kind of PTSD you don't even know about. So uh, me and the producers, we conspired uh, because this was when we were doing his and hers. And so we had to be to tape the show. Oh, we did the show live every day. So we had to do we had to be at work at like seven in the morning. And so, you know, how it is in the winter, seven in the morning. It's like still like damn near pitch black. So uh, waited and he was coming down the hallway uh, and where we met, where we had our production meeting. It was in a. A building that was completely empty at that time, so he was just coming down the hallway, manning his business, and I jumped from behind a file cabinet, and he lost his mind and damn near shit himself. And, it, and we got it all on camera, and of course, because I'm such a nice co-host, we ran that shit like five thousand times during the show. Was like awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's probably the the best one I could think of that that I pulled. Uh, all right, other scenes you were going
2: through, man. Okay, so the the other things I like um, when Gross is translating. The um the Burrell press conference. Oh, love yeah. that. That's good. Uh, when BD finally checks Jimmy, great scene. The, the by two best scenes of this episode, though, d- despite the fact that Prop Joe dies, that's not the best scene in the episode to me. Hmm, do tell. It's not. Um, so I'm gonna go through a couple of them. A the, uh, couple others. So Omar getting his shotgun back. Yep. You know what I mean? That, that that was almost like, you know Sweet Jesus, I'ma work them. Sweet Jesus, I'ma work them.
1: <laughs> You know what the comparison that came to mind when he came back, and you tell me if you think this is accurate, it kinda reminded me when Batman came back to Gotham and Dark Knight Rises after he had his after Bane broke his back and he escaped the prison. I don't know, I just had that feeling.
2: I love it. I don't understand that scene though.
1: How he got out the prison?
2: Okay, forget about how he got out the prison. He got out the prison because he his back healed, he's Batman. Yeah, he how he
1: self-healed healed a broken back.
2: <laughs> it's like, I always want to know. I don't next person who's making a movie, like, don't skip this part. Cause they also did this in the first Batman, right? Don't skip the part where he's just walking out of the thing. No cell phone, no nothing. Right. And he's like on the other then, side of the world. <laughs> on the other side of the world. And even in in even in Batman Begins. He's been training with these people and then all of a sudden a plane comes to meet him. I know that it's he's easy rich. he can make a call. I know, I know that it's easy he can make a call and call somebody. I just want to see how he see does that. You want to see him do it? Yeah, I want to see And like, see does him he go. walk
1: up and on payphone? Like, how, well, where does he
2: get one from? Well, he's been gone eight years. Mm-hmm. I guess the numbers are the same. I guess he remembers them and and like, because I know, I know straight up, it's I actually have the same cell phone number that I had eight years ago. So people could probably get in touch with me if it was the if, if it was a if But it what was if a they thing.
1: hadn't dialed it? He also hasn't dialed a phone, presumably, in eight I, years.
2: Well, I'm just saying. I just want to know. I want to see the part <laughs> where the, he makes contact with whoever's about to come get him. Because it goes from, hey, I'm in Calcutta to the next day, Gotham, 7 a.m. in the morning. It's just weird.
1: I just assume, assume he sent the PJ. I don't know. Yeah, yeah but you're right. Yeah, but
2: he, but he is a billionaire. Like, he yeah. is the richest man in uh, Gotham city. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it seemed like, you know, it was almost like a superhero scene. Like Omar gets his shotgun back. Um, and, and you see, you even see the little thing where he clips his shotgun right there. Omar gets his shotgun back. It's almost like a superhero scene. And then of course, Omar and Slim, yep. when, uh, when, um uh, when Omar bats Slim in the back of the head, Slim comes real and Omar lets him go. Uh, Burrell's combo with nariz, I really liked.
1: Yeah, Neris, you know the thought that ran through my mind seeing her cuz she got B- Burrell's ass, right? Mm-hmm. Is she would be a better mayor than
2: So I think she would too.
1: She would be a better mayor. Like Carcetti is is very conciliatory, like he's he's kind of frazzled. Like Neris is cold-blooded as fuck. Like and yeah, I'm just she like is. she kind of has, you know, she should be the mayor. I understand her her pistivity because she felt like she was next in line and I get it cuz she's had to you know, being a woman, a black woman in city government, even in a black city, I mean, she'd have had to put up with a lot of shit.
2: Yeah, she has. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the co-op scene.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> with uh, Cheese and Hungry Man, their little... Cheese and Hungry
2: Man. Cheese and, and... walked,
1: stormed out uh, <laughs> by somebody stole his
2: bike. I love I that scene.
1: Ain't you the articulate motherfucker? Um Uh, You know what I love about that scene is that Marlo hates meetings as much as I do. And so Mm -hmm. when he's just like, yeah, yeah, so can uh, fuck all that real estate. Like, can we just get get to it?
2: (laughs) He he talked crazy to them. He was like, like, motherfuckers, (laughs) shut the fuck up. I'm like, God damn, you letting this nigga talk to you like that? And they shut up too. They did. He de them. them. And okay, so these are my two best scenes. I connect these two scenes. Okay. And they're obviously, they're more, oh, the resurgence of Johnny 53 from the port. Do you see uh, he's homeless I had now?
1: That in, I had that in trivia. Yes, because I didn't oh. know people, but that's okay. Yeah, I didn't know if people actually caught that. But yeah, for those what Van is talking about, uh, Johnny 50, who used to do a lot of grimy shit with the sabakas with Nikki and Ziggy, he was when McMulti went to the homeless camp and he's playing, the dude that's playing with the dog, that was him. So yeah. we see, you know, talking about full circle, we knew the ports, um, they were on, you know, life support. And a guy like that, especially, you know, it, it, it is not implausible um that he might wind up in a in a homeless camp.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was definitely there. Yep. Uh but the two best scenes to me were Harvard when when Harvard writes up Calicia. Okay. Uh Yeah. That's a strong con- one. Connected to Herc and Carver talking. Herkin Carver talking is the finest moment for her, for Carver in the entire series. It's the, it's the, it's the moment that Carver realized, it's the moment that Carver verbalizes it. So the last, so in the movie Thor, okay? You're talking about first Thor, right? The first Thor. Okay. Thor is going through all of these things, right? And then Thor sacrifices himself for the people, and Odin gives Thor his hammer and his armor back. In Captain America's arc in Marvel, okay, Captain America in Avengers: Age of Ultron grabs the uh, uh, grabs Mjolnir, and Mjolnir creeps because Cap can almost lift it. But it wasn't until Cap, after he came clean with the Bucky thing and all of that stuff like that. There had to be an admission for Cap to really embrace who he was as a hero and be worthy enough to have the finest cinematic moment I've had in a long time, which was in Cap uh, calls me an ear in Endgame and it comes to his hand. I leapt to my feet and screamed in tears. I was, it was, the whole arc light was lit. God damn, I miss going to the movies. yeah. Like God, like that we were fucking going bananas in there. Anyway,
1: yeah, I've never been to a movie that felt like a sporting event, like a like a like a Super Bowl type of event. And uh, I was lucky enough to go to the the Hollywood premiere of of Endgame, and when that happened. I mean, I can't... Like, everybody in there was out of
2: their seat. Like, Just holy shit. Going yeah. fucking insane. That was a lot of fun. God damn, it makes me emotional. I feel like I want to cry right now. Anyway, mm-hmm. Carve did that in that scene. When Carve... Carve knew that it mattered to him, but he hadn't really told anyone that it mattered. So, two things. When he writes up Caligio, he he decides, I am no longer going to be a part of this system that just sweeps things under the rug and whatever. You hurt somebody who didn't deserve to be hurt. You are going to pay.
1: And he tried to justify it. But here's the thing, though. If you recall the beginning of that scene, Carver was laying out a blueprint to cover for him. Like He his, was going to do it. He was going to do it. He was going to yeah. do for him what Daniels had done for him. Because I think that's what he was thinking. Like, okay, he remembered the leader, their leadership. And so when it was very clear that Kalichio didn't get it, that he was still trying to justify his behavior, that's when he realized, like, he can't he can't do this. Not for somebody who doesn't get it. Like, if right. if Kalichio if says, you know what, you're right. I shouldn't be pulling out a teacher from their vehicle and all they trying to do is get to an after-school program, Carver probably lets that ride. But that was a real gut-check, moment of truth, character moment
2: for Carver. Right. Um, and when he's talking to her... And Herc is kind of bringing the whole thing up, Harvard says.
0: I never told you, Herc. Never said a fucking word. But when I gave you that kid to debrief last year, and what's his face? You were supposed to get him to bunk Moreland, you remember that?
2: Yeah. I fucked up. So what?
0: So it mattered. So what the fuck does this have to do with Collegio? It all matters. I know we thought it didn't, but it does. And he
2: verbalizes that. He comes out and lets people know, not just punching the the, the steering wheel where no one can see, or not just, he tells him, yo, you fucked up, that mattered to me. It's not just another fuck up. Like, it mattered. I care about it. It destroyed somebody's life. It destroyed somebody's life. And Mm -hmm. that even changes, hurts mind. Right. Because, because Herc is there to try to convince him to 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 uh to go easy on the cop. But Carver, when Carver comes out with that, Herc goes, fuck it. You gotta do what you gotta do.
1: Well, and he also knows, even though Carver doesn't spell out details and say, okay, as a result of you doing that, Randy's now in a group home. His life's over yeah. because you fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to tell him the details, but I think Herc lets him, by Herc saying, I get it, you gotta do what you gotta do, because he's just like he understands that whatever it is that happened was such a grave fuck-up. He's got no right after Carver covered for him in that situation to a large degree. He's got no right to tell him to, co- co- to cover for somebody else. And he's telling him when the shit matters, it matters. Right. And you of all people need to understand that because yeah. you have fucked somebody's life up. And this guy, by pulling this guy out of his car, fucked somebody's life up. That attitude toward the citizenry matters.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that was a great scene. Your great scene. So I'm that, not mad those at that. The, the, the those are my best scenes.
1: Yeah, I, I'm on board with with, with all of those. Uh, I, I'd also add to it when Daniels initially comes to Burel's uh, office. Oh, great office. scene. Yep, and he's got the putter, and he's he's silent the entire scene. Mm-hmm. And and did it go through your mind maybe when you first saw it? Like, damn, is he about to? He's about to beat the shit out of Daniels in his office. Because he was circling him. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think Daniels Daniels felt it when he walked by him with the thing. You know, it's kind of like almost like that scene in uh, The Untouchables where, where yep. uh, you know, he's got the baseball bat and he's just fucking with it. And then all of a sudden he beats somebody over the head with it. But obviously Burrell did not do that. He, he missed the putt. Uh, and just looked out the window. But I felt bad for Daniels right there because Daniels really didn't do what Burrell thought he did.
1: Yeah, and that scene actually reminded me of New Jack City when Nino has them all all around the table. He's like, a million dollar a week business. Reduce the fucking rubble. And then Chris Williams got stabbed in the hand just because he was Never liked you
2: anyway. Pretty motherfucker. I mean, imagine like, that Chris
1: Williams—he just minding his own fine ass <laughs> business, and he wound up being stabbed in the hand.
2: <laughs> Shit is cold.
1: So yeah, that one I pointed out. Also, Marlo's meeting with with Vondas slash the the Greek, mm-hmm. and and the Greek and Marlo are actually alike in a lot of ways because like Vonda's is much more forgiving of things. You know, he's cold blooded too. Don't get me wrong, but he generally liked Prop Joe, and he didn't really see a need to upset the apple Card. He's like, we already got this business arrangement. He liked uh, Frank Sabaka. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't feel, he's not as ready to let these young lions through the door. It's the Greek mm-hmm. who's like, nah, got to let him in because I think he knows if we don't let him in and become partners, all he's going to do is try to sit there and calculate a way to get rid of us. Yeah. Right. And to try to right. take over. You know, it might Especially little-
2: now that he knows who we are.
1: Correct. Now that he knows who you are, and they can see just by the boldness of him essentially trying to eliminate Prop Joe from the equation, you got to keep that kind of boldness close to you. Not in the way that Prop Joe was trying to do it with Marlo, but I think he understands that. That's why he said if we tell him no, he would just come back. And uh, when he was like, but he isn't Joe, he said, no, he isn't Joe. And that to him was like, this is why we got to roll with this. The, the Greek, he he understands the situation. Um, other scenes that I I sort of, I think that... that that were interesting to me or best scenes and moments. Um, Clay, when he came out of the grand jury hearing. <laughs> no, he that's looked, great. Yeah, he looked defeated and then like a couple moments later, he's like turning on the charm with mm-hmm. the uh, w- with the media. Um, and uh, Burrell's last meeting with Rawls. Um, yeah. And which he tried to explain, like, I'm not as bad as y'all think I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm basically the product of this shitty political system. Right. And he when he tells him, you might think it'll be different when you sit here talking about Daniels. But you will eat their shit, so I thought that was um a really strong and uh and powerful scene, so those are those those are all I got, so I think we've we pretty much gone through oh wait, wait, hold up, I'm not done yet i my I forgot I forgot. Kima spending time with her quote unquote nephew. Oh my God, how could I, I forget that? I, I forgot about that one. Um, like
2: that was a fantastic scene because it's connected to the scene where she goes and she sees what the young man that witnessed the murders, the young the young boy that witnessed the murders, just going through. Absolutely, you're absolutely right.
1: Yep. Um. So yeah, I forgot about that. There that's a that's a nice moment. And he, you know, because it's a, it's an awkward relationship, you know, Kima feels financially responsible, but we have gotten every indication that the emotional connection just kind of wasn't there. And so we right. see that she's trying to establish establish that. Uh all right, now let's talk about what aged the best. Uh what'd you have there, Van?
2: Fentanyl. Yes, there's I a, caught the reference too. Uh, right. I had that down. Yeah. Uh, right. There's a um there's a point where they're talking about the homeless guys ended up dying and they're like now that fentanyl's hit and it's crazy when fentanyl has been doing this thing for the last four or five years here. I remember, you know, everything. I thought fentanyl was a new thing, but no, this was 2007. So people, uh, you know, uh, tapping out on fentanyl, God bless them. Uh, is something that's, I guess has been around. Was that, uh, your only one or you have some others? That was, the, that was, that was the only one that I had that aged the best. A
1: couple of things aged the best to me, uh, cops behaving violently when their authority is challenged. <laughs> and you know right. what else I noticed, too, is when when Calicio or Calicchio, whatever, when he pulls the the guy out of the car, the other cops jump in. And I was thinking, huh, in 2020 with the other cops jump in because we mm. seen. I just wondered that. Or even then, would they really jump in? Because, you know, this is kind of before everybody was recording everything on their phones. And so I, I think maybe they do now, maybe for some fear of of what that viral repercussion would be or any repercussions in general. But I was like, I don't know if I buy the other cops are stepping in just so readily. Right. And also the idea of perfect victims. You know, Carver, the reason that he wouldn't cover for this was because he made mention elementary school teacher headed to an after-school program. So this idea, like even if that dude had a rap sheet super long, right? you don't pull mm-hmm. somebody out of their car just because they asked you to move, right? Great, so I'm like, catch. idea perfect victims definitely age pretty well because we still obviously do that. Uh, white folks trying to police black people's behavior because Gus getting told about his cursing in a newsroom, which is- Oh, wow. How did I miss that? Which is hysterical. And right. he's like, I've been meaning to talk to you about your language. I mean, he should have been like, motherfucker, shut up. Now nah, about yeah. that, <laughs> right? We grown. We, we grown, like whatever. And I've, I've worked in newsrooms and that's, you have to, you know- that's just what it is, right? So uh, that one. And also, and I can speak to this <laughs> with personal knowledge, amicable partings.
0: <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: <laughs> amicable partings that are on the surface kind of amicable, but there are some other things that are going on behind the scenes as we see with uh, Burrell. that basically paid for his silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
2: love, it. I love this.
1: I mean, I say I, I ain't calling no names, but. I know you're not. I know you're not. <laughs> but
2: I know that the Maserati is in the driveway.
1: <laughs> but you know, I, I understand, though it wasn't that transactional, that's for sure. But I right. understand that, you know, what makes it amicable is the check you get cut. That's what right. makes it
2: amicable. Exactly. Wow, that's a really good one.
1: Um, all right, now uh in terms of what age the worst, uh, I think the word hack. I, think that, I don't think that aged well. Yeah.
2: It's it, kinda... it only, only in, like, comedy circles is, is the word hack still really used. You know, like, he's a hack, it's hack to do that, but really, not really. Not, yeah, not, it, not you know
1: the problem with hack is it's used to apply to too many things. Like, we mm-hmm. call, you know, bad writers who just have hot takes and no, no substance to them, we call them hacks. Right, that's very commonly known in our business, and so to see it being used like in all these different forms, I'm like, eh, that word's not that great. So that aged the worst to me. Uh, now on to file this away for later. Uh, there were some
2: significant ones in this. Uh, which ones did you have? Um, oh, I had one that aged the worst as well.
1: Oh, sorry, man. I didn't mean to uh, skip that's on all you. good. What'd you that's got?
2: That's all good. Uh, Marlo wearing a T-shirt under his polo. Remember back when oh, back day yeah, you wear a that t-shirt? that was
1: up? a thing.
2: Mm-hmm. That was. wears a t-shirt under his polo. Now you you hardly ever see that. No,
1: you, you really don't. see that. Dude, you do guys the, just wear the a-shirts underneath? Like if you have to, the wear, a-shirt. Yeah. it's the
2: a-shirt now. Now yeah. you want those two little bones stick out if you got them, right? Um, but yeah. Uh, so the t-shirt under the polo, I was like, yeah, I used to be a t-shirt under the polo type. Yeah, guy. That, that was a, that me. was a
1: whole look. It's a whole look.
2: <laughs> yeah, just like basketball shorts under your under your jeans used to be a thing. I y'all, can't remember. I tell you, one man, week.
1: y'all don't care about being hot, man. Y'all a layer
2: up. Like, basketball shorts. People were like, yo, you don't wear basketball. I remember one time my homie was like, yeah, fam, you don't wear basketball shorts under your jeans. I'm like, no. It was like, you just like straight draws. And I'm like, yeah, boxers, bro. It's was like, that's, that's kind of nasty, dog. And I'm like, all right. But for a long time, it was basketball shorts under your jeans. For a while. It was the last of while.
1: Just an uh, uh, extra layer, huh? Okay. It's an extra layer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, fathers away for later. Omar going at Marlo mm-hmm. uh, is a big fathers away for later, just because of of you know that's going to be a huge, huge part of the season moving forward. And when Herc sees Marlo, yes. in Levy's office.
1: Yep. And more importantly, if you want to get super specific, when Levy gets Marlo's telephone number.
2: Oh yes, that's when Levy gets Marlo's telephone number. That's actually even more specific as a fathers away for later.
1: Yep. Um those are good ones. Uh I also had uh just how progressively worse Kennard has gotten. Okay. Like yeah cuz uh, they're the, building cuz he even though uh you know he he got slapped around by by Michael but like he's becoming more and more sort of gangster and bold and I, yeah. I, that's something that people should keep in mind. Um also uh I had uh the state state attorney Bond's decision to grandstand with the media in the Clay Davis case, mm. that's a that's a big file. This away for later because that's a um, you know a bit of a a a miscalculation um, you know on 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 his part I believe. Uh, all right, now on to some trivia. You gave away one already, or noticed one that I wasn't sure people would notice the ref, the reemergence of, of Johnny Fifty uh, in the homeless camp. Also, Omar's Marlow hunting partner is the real life Omar Donnie. Mm.
0: That is done. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and another one.
1: So, did you recognize uh, uh, the patrol officer that Lester and Jimmy McNulty are now in cahoots with to find fresh homeless bodies?
2: I have. I did recognize okay. him, but I could not remember. I couldn't remember where from.
1: Well, um, Van, you have been a child at one time, and I assume you watched Sesame Street because that is Gordon from Sesame Street.
2: That, God damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> I could not place him. For anything. I'm thinking, yo, what did I watch with this guy on there? I know this guy. And uh, yeah, okay, cool. Makes sense. And as other people in Hollywood know, that's also Holly Robinson Pete's father. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Didn't he also play a pimp in the Mac? Did he? I it, 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 either in one of those in, in one of those movies. No, 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 no. Maybe not the Mac. Remember this the scene where it's like, the scene where the dude's... St- it's like, you got to have vision. Oh. Was that I, him? Th- I think that's him that he's talking to.
1: Mm. All right. I have to i have to look that up. I have that one. Um, you got to have vision. I remember that scene, but I didn't yeah. i didn't think that that was, that that was him. You know, I mean, I remember that he also... What was it? It, it was a movie, a gangster movie. Oh, he was in New Jersey Drive, too. Mm. Yeah, mm. so I was like, I remember mm. him. That's the only gangster movie I could think of that he was in, but... Yes, that is beloved Gordon from Sesame Street. Um, all right, Van, we have now reached the moment of truth. Who did you think won the episode? Marla. Damn. <laughs> I mean, it is hard. Like, he became the king of Baltimore. Yeah, it's no so, other Marla, So it's, it's kind yeah. of, well, um, I have to say, I do have, and it's, it's weird because I, I feel like we've, you know, sort of gone, you know, back and forth with this. Uh, with, like, his, he's run so few episodes in general. But, you know, I, I probably would say Burrell won. I mean, even Interesting. it didn't feel like a win for him. Mm-hmm. But he kind of came out of this kind of good. You know what I'm saying? Oh, he definitely did oh, my with God. all this stuff. It's like, yeah. he comes out of this. And, yeah, he's not a poli- uh, police commissioner anymore. And I get that. That's a big deal. But to leave for p- p- a police commissioner and be a job where, frankly, You don't have an administration asking you to do impossible things where you don't have to lie about murders anymore. And you could just sort of fade off into the sunset with a six figure job. Like, what? Like, that's a come up. Mm -hmm. You got to be kidding me. And your pitches in place like that's a win. He kind of won. I get it. He kind of won. You know, I mean, he, he tried to shape it into a loss, but like, no, no, no do do you guys accept that w Yeah. Uh, don't no. don't take that l so yeah thought that was good um all right well that is gonna do it for us thanks everybody for hanging out uh next episode we're at the halfway point point mm-hmm. of of uh you know the end of this series um as we continue to count down um the end of the series here on the wire so uh, we appreciate y'all hanging out with us and supporting us. Feel free to tweet us your own reactions, which you do anyway. But we appreciate certainly certainly uh, reading about those. Uh, and as always, uh, keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see y'all next time.